blanket as Eleanor sang a soft lullaby to her snuffling infant. John White, Eleanor's father and the island's governor, was proud of what he'd achieved. This was the golden age of colonization for England, and it looked to be another year where his homeland flexed its muscles and attempted to further expand its global domain. Earlier that decade, in 1583, Sir Humphrey Gilbert claimed Newfoundland as England's first overseas colony, and now Roanoke was set to be the first English colony in the New World. Governor White was making sure all was well before he reluctantly returned to England to collect more provisions. Roanoke Island was long and narrow, and lay just off the coast between the mainland and the treacherous outer banks of the Atlantic Ocean. White knew the surrounding waters were cold and an uninviting grey-green as the freezing currents of the Atlantic encircled the twelve miles of land. But thankfully the island itself was an oasis of dense marshes, low-grassed meadows, and tall oak forests teeming with game. The local Indians were on the whole a friendly but strange bunch, sometimes timid, and at other times aggressive, shouting loudly at the colonists to warn them away from particular tracts of the forest. White found that as long as they stayed within certain areas of the island, there was never any trouble. A sporadic but uneasy trading relationship developed, and overall White was satisfied the indigenous population posed no threat to the group. White's main concern had been that the site of the settlement was not as secure as he would like, from the heavy sea storms that kicked up out of the Atlantic. Their site was too close to the shoreline, and now that babies were being born, he was determined to ensure that no unplanned-for risks would endanger his new colony, particularly as he would be absent for months. White had organized a small party of men to search the surrounding areas for naturally sheltered areas that could be retreated to in times of harsh weather. Within a week the men had reported back that they had found a large cave opening, and though there seemed to be an odd smell emanating from its depths, it seemed well protected, dry, and large enough for all one hundred colonists. White had ordered that water barrels be placed inside the cavern. Looking at the provisions, he hoped that he'd done all that was necessary to secure the colony, and he turned to board his ship for the return to England. Eleanor made her way down to a soft, grassy spot beside the clear stream just outside of the settlement. She came to this part of the riverbank to wash Virginia's tiny clothes and let them dry on the flat rocks beside the water. When she met the young Indian girl, it seemed natural that they would become friends. Inkara, as Eleanor had learned was her name, came to the bank to do her daily chores around the same time, and it wasn't long before a wave and a smile became an opportunity to sit together and show off their firstborns. Though neither could speak the other's language, they managed to communicate and connect as young new mothers. Eleanor pulled her shawl closer and looked up to the sky. Dark clouds were racing across from the west, and rain looked to be imminent. She rose to her feet with Virginia in her arms and made her farewell to Inkara, who smiled up at her and tried to mimic both the wave and the words. Eleanor giggled at the attempt. Perhaps she would make Inkara a dress, depending on how much fabric her father returned with. 
The wind was rising quickly, so Eleanor picked up her pace for the walk back to the colony. The horizon was now heavy with enormous purple clouds that threatened to burst like boils over the island. Just as she was entering the clearing at the very edge of the colony, Eleanor's husband, Ananias, met her and pulled her into a quick embrace. He was out of breath, and already his blonde hair was plastered down from the large drops of rain that were beginning to fall. He shouted over the top of the screaming wind that she should gather as much food and clothing as she could carry, as the colony was going to take shelter in the caves to the south of the island. Already the ferocious wind was picking away some of the thatch and wooden shingles from the cabins and flinging them like knives throughout the camp. The rain, catapulted by the strong wind gusts, was now stinging their faces as they...